This summer I was at a wedding reception, and after a little chit-chat, the woman I was talking to said, so, um, what is it you do? And I paused, because usually at those kind of things, when I say, I'm a pastor, uh, here's the response I get, oh, you know, I'm going to get another one of these hors d'oeuvres, they're so good, you know. (laughs) So after having that a few times, but I went with it, and I told her, and that didn't deter her. She said, oh, which group? And I said, Anglican. She says, oh, you're that group that's against gays. That was a provocative way of trying to say that some of our Anglican churches came out of a denomination in which a bishop had been consecrated, someone was consecrated as bishop, who had left his wife and moved in with a new partner. But that concern would have been there even if the new partner had been a woman. So I said, no. I said, in our church, we have many people who feel same-sex attraction. She's like, oh. And you could see the mind working because I think she had pictured that we take people out back and burn them at the stake. And she was like, well, what do you do with them then? Uh, I said, well, we walk alongside them. I said, they've come to us and said, help me walk the way of Jesus. And they know that for most of them, that means a life of celibacy. She goes, yeah, but what you're asking them, isn't that unfair? And I said, well, it is hard. I don't minimize that. But I said, the way of Jesus is hard for everyone. I said, we tell our heterosexual singles, you've got to stop sleeping with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. We tell our married, uh, a married man, you know, I don't care how alive you feel around that new person at work, you've got to stay faithful. We tell our couples who come in and say, I want out, we've got to get out. Hang in there and we'll help you. I didn't even have the heart to tell her that we tell couples that, that they should have a profound openness to life, knowing full well, as we do, that children have a way of wrecking your sleep and your finances and your peaceful, well-ordered existence. So she said, you'll change. The culture's changed so much in 40 years. And as she turned and left that conversation, I realized she despises me. I actually caused a physical revulsion in her. And that jarred me. Because I like to be liked. And yet, I'm in a culture, and every one of you is in a culture, in which if you try to speak up for Jesus, you will sometimes encounter suspicion. You will sometimes encounter disrespect. You will sometimes get rejection. Do you know how to handle that? Are you prepared for the rejection that will come as you try to share your faith? This is important, friends. And honestly, I don't think we've been helped enough on this question. Because when when you read the evangelism books, and I've read several, the, the kind of implication you get from reading them is if you'll just be wise enough as an evangelist, which we're all for, right? And if you'll just be sensitive enough, and if you'll just be winsome enough, and if you'll just be patient enough, then, then people will come to Jesus. Well, that is true. But what is left unsaid is, and other people will reject you. 
that that's part of the package. So I have to ask, in a series on evangelism, we can't leave this sermon unsaid. Do you know how to handle rejection when you try to share your faith? And are you ready for that? Jesus talked a lot about this with his followers. And I want us to look at that this morning. And I want to draw out from the teachings of Jesus three kind of principles that will help you as you try to handle the rejection that will sometimes come. Let's look at that together. The first principle is this. Rejection is normal. It's normal. So don't assume you did anything wrong. Now, I don't think that's our first instinct. For many of us, when we get shut down in a conversation, when somebody gives us the tension and the kind of the blowback as we're trying to say something about our faith, we tend to think, oh man, I I just didn't know what to say right there. I wish I would have studied theology a little more. You know, I'm just not that good as an evangelist. But Jesus taught that it's normal. Now, how did he come to that conclusion? Let's look at his own life. If there's anyone who's a perfect evangelist, it's Jesus Christ. He, he himself blends truth and love in just the right combination for every person that he meets. He never messes up like we do. He's perfect evangelist, and yet here's what he gets as he tries to share the word of God with people. Listen what happened with his neighbors. When his neighbors heard this, that's what Jesus was saying, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him, and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built, they intended to push him over the cliff. That went well. Okay, um, how about his family? Okay, you'd think maybe they would be more sympathetic. Mark 3, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take Jesus away. He's out of his mind, they said. Now, some of them changed their minds later on that. But nonetheless, that's what Jesus got from his neighbors and his family. How about his entire country, John 1.11? He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. So Jesus, doing the work of proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of the kingdom of God, is rejected and rejected and rejected. And so when he gathers 72 of his followers and he says, I'm about to send you out in my name with my message, guess what? You're going to need to know how to handle rejection. And so he lays it out very clearly in our gospel today, if you would turn there to Luke 10. And he says, expect it. It's normal. Look at verse 3, if you would. He says, go. And the next thing he says is, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Lambs, us, wolves, them. That's quite an image, isn't it? I picture this little woolly lamb getting inside a wolf pack. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Some of my best friends are wolves. <laughs> you know. Jesus is saying, you are vulnerable. You are exposing yourself to rejection and ridicule. And they can bite you, and you can't bite back. So expect that. It's even more clear here in verse 8. He says, here's the response you're going to get. Some people are going to love it. When you enter a town and are welcomed, so some people will welcome you. They'll be glad for what you're bringing. Eat what's offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. That's normal. 
Some people will welcome your message about Jesus. Here's what's just as normal. Verse 10. When you enter a town and are not welcomed. Doesn't mean you did anything wrong. It's part of the deal. Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Both groups hear this, the kingdom of God has come near. But the one group gets healing, the other group gets warning. And so Jesus is telling us, friends, it's normal. It's a part of when I send you out. So don't necessarily assume you did something wrong. Have you been rejected and it kind of shut you down in terms of sharing your faith? I just I encourage you, don't let it do that. I was on a business trip one time, and uh, the woman on the, in the plane seat next to me said, now where is it you work? And I said, Christianity Today. It's an organization that was founded by Billy Graham, and I wanted to see what she might do with that. So she said something that kind of indicated a little bit of interest, and so I said, so have you ever explored Christianity? And she said, look, the only reason you're a Christian is because you grew up with it. And that shut me down. I didn't know what to say. So I sat there, stewing in my seat. I'm really a lousy evangelist. And then about four or five minutes later, of course, I had the perfect response, which was, could it be possible that your non-openness to Christianity also has some cultural influence in it? Could we just agree that we're all culturally influenced and have a conversation? But I didn't think about that. And I didn't even think about the great line that somebody shared with me at the guest center after the nine, where you go back and you go, I've been thinking about what you said. So here's the point. I can beat myself up and kind of then not want to evangelize, or I can go to Luke 10 and see what Jesus said and go, you know what, this is normal. Some people are not going to welcome the invitation to have that conversation. It doesn't mean you did anything wrong. Now let me ask some of you who you're like, you know, honestly, this doesn't totally connect with me because I haven't experienced that kind of rejection very much. I don't really get that. Let me do this first. Imagine the sensitivity spectrum. And over here, on this end of the spectrum, is, is a type of evangelism that's very in your face. In fact, we would even say it's somewhat insensitive or impatient. It's people pushing tracks on you and that kind of thing. You're like, oh, that's annoying. Yes. Okay, now let's move this way on the spectrum. And here at kind of a midpoint would be a, a really good blend of sensitivity and boldness where those two kind of go together in a very good combination. Now let's keep moving on this sensitivity spectrum over to here on this side, which is you're so sensitive that honestly, you don't really bring up your faith. So could be timidity. Now, where are you on this sensitivity spectrum? I want you to think about that for a moment. Knowing many of you as I do, here's what I'm going to guess because I, I can't speak for every one of you, but I'm guessing that most of our church is on this half of the spectrum. Like, we're very nice people. We don't have many people that are going to be railroading someone, right? And in fact, part of the reason why Bishop Stewart and Father Stephen and I and others felt led to do this sermon series is because we feel like God is nudging us as a church to maybe take a few steps this way. Now, as the Holy Spirit is nudging us that way, here's what automatically happens. We all look down to the end of the spectrum and we go, I don't want to be like that. And we get very nervous and concerned about any motion that way. We've got actually quite a little bit of room to go. We're okay. 
<laughs> and so what I want to say to you is, if you're not being occasionally rejected, is it that you are so much more wise, patient, and sensitive than Jesus and the apostles? Or could it be that <laughs> you're a little timid? Okay. Now, Jesus knows us. He remembers our frame and that we are but dust. He knows that we all have this thing going on inside us where it's like, I like to be liked. I love to be loved. I hate to be hated. And so he helps us with that. And I want to look at this next principle because I think it will help us a lot. Not only is rejection normal, so you don't have to assume you did anything wrong. Rejection is a uniting with Jesus. In rejection, it's a chance to be united with Jesus. I'll show you this in a minute. And so offer him your rejection. He'll take the rejection. Look, if you would, at Luke 10, at the conclusion of that passage, verse 16. Jesus says this, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. Whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. What is Jesus saying? He's going, you're going on my mission. You are carrying my message and I'm going with you. In fact, at that moment, I am so intertwined with you that whatever response you get is actually mine. It's coming to me. I'll take it. So you don't have to worry about the rejection that you may get because that's not yours. That's like, oh, you're mad at Jesus. Here, Jesus, you take that. Now, what is it, what is it, what's an analogy for how we're so connected with Jesus that actually any response to us is really to him? I, I don't know how many of you saw that um, Beatles tribute tour thing that was going around called Rain, a tribute to the Beatles. Uh, we went. And so it was astonishing how well these performers, whose names nobody knows, um, were doing the Beatles. They had them with their mop top haircuts and the dark suits on the Ed Sullivan show. And then as it went on, and then they had them in their technicolored marching band uniforms from Sgt. Pepper. And then they had them in the, the some of you having flashbacks, okay, the Abbey Road bell bottoms, you know? And, and they, they had every last mannerism down, even to strum patterns. It sounded exactly like John, Paul, George, and Ringo. And at the end of that show, people stood on their feet and clapped and clapped and clapped. It was standing room only. It was just thunderous ovation. Now, were they clapping for the guys who were actually performing like Joey, Ralph, and Steve? Not really. What they were in love with was, this music is so inspired. These lyrics are amazing. They take me back to a place that I love. And so Jesus is saying, it's like that for you. Yeah, you're just standing up there doing the strum pattern, but what people are really responding to is me. So you go, you got the rejection. That's actually mine. It's got my name on it. So why don't you give it to me? I love uh, what Mother Teresa said about dealing with this kind of stuff. Many of you may not realize that though Mother Teresa was loved by many, she was despised by many as well. She got a lot of blowback in the press. You're so holier than thou. You're imperialistic with your religion, blah, 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 blah. And so she was asked one time, how do you deal with all the insults you get in the press, especially the English and German press? And here's what she said. If someone accuses you, ask yourself first, is he right? If he's right, go and apologize to him. If he's not right, then take that insult that you have received in both hands, don't let it go, but seize that opportunity and give it to Jesus as a sacrifice. Be glad that you have something valuable to give to him. Isn't that amazing? 
See, you and I will find greater freedom to share our faith, knowing full well we'll get some rejection, if we know that the rejection isn't really us. It's toward Jesus. And we give that rejection to him. And then what he gives us is his resurrection life. It's like, the, it's like an LP gas exchange. You know, when, when the canister of LP gas runs out on my gas grill, I unscrew it and I take it down the road to Jewel and it's covered with cobwebs and it's empty. And the guy comes out and I hand him that and he hands me a nice shiny full one. And Jesus is saying, I'll take the rejection. It's mine. And I'll give you my resurrection life and power. This is what Paul's talking about this morning, friends, when he says here in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 10, Our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. There's no reason we should keep going given what we're up against, but Jesus is giving us his life. It's like this great exchange. So I just love this principle that the rejection's not ours. It's, It's a uniting with Jesus. It's an opportunity to be united with Jesus, and so we can just offer him our rejection. All right, let's look at this third principle. We've learned that rejection is normal, so don't assume you did anything wrong. We've learned that it's a uniting with Jesus, and he'll take the rejection. Listen to this, because I think Jesus takes this to a place that we would never get on our own. Rejection is a blessing. So rejoice. This is not the way we would think, but it's the way Jesus thinks. Matthew 5, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you, and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And so Jesus' very first followers remembered that teaching, and they're like, okay, people hate us right now. What are we supposed to do? Oh, we're supposed to rejoice. Look at this over in the book of Acts. Chapter 5. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. So these guys are now like, black and blue, probably bleeding as well. And they ordered them never to speak in the name of Jesus again. And they let them go. Here's what they do. The apostles left the high council rejoicing. Rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And did it shut them down? Every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message, Jesus is the Messiah. Go ahead, make my day. It's fuel for my fire because when you reject me, I rejoice. I rejoice that I actually am counted worthy to be a follower of Jesus Christ in that level and to that degree. You can't stop me. That's the way the apostles did it. Now, what is the reward that Jesus promises? He says, rejoice because there's a reward in heaven. What is that heavenly reward? He actually describes it, I believe, in Matthew 10. Here's what he says. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. The reward is that moment in heaven when you stand before the Father who created you and Jesus stands up and goes, that one's mine. That one took a hit for me. I love that one. I can't believe their courage. I can't believe that they would let themselves experience the shame that I experienced. I can tell that they're mine. When my kids were in fourth grade, the the people at their school said, hey, it's time to pick out a band instrument you'd like to play. We're forming a band, and now this is the time to pick out your instrument. And so they did. And then six weeks later was the fall band concert. So 
we got all dressed up. We're so excited. They're so excited. And, and they get there, and part of the kids don't even know, like, which way to hold the instrument. Their fingers are in the wrong places. And honestly, they sounded horrible. So, but when they finished that fourth grade band ensemble, all the parents stood up from the bleachers and were like, woo that's mine, that's my kid. Now, I've also been in traffic court with a teenager, and when the judge was reading the charges against him, I was not standing up going, woo that's mine. I was sinking down in my chair. And Jesus is saying, oh, friends, there's such a reward. There's a moment when you will stand before your heavenly Father, and I will stand up. If you have the courage to stand up for me, I'll stand up for you. If you have the courage to live my kind of life, I'll live it for you. And I will applaud you, and I'll say, this one is mine. And if you shrink back, and you don't acknowledge me, and you kind of deny me and hide me, I'll still be there, I'll still love you, but I'm not going to stand up and cheer. Oh, friends, we have such an invitation to receive a reward. Some of you, you've gotten stung. Family members are not as close to you anymore because of your faith. Call co-workers don't come around the way they used to because of your faith. Have you ever tried to obey Jesus in this matter and rejoiced and said, this actually is something I'm going to do out of obedience to you. I'm going to rejoice. It will flip it on its head. It will take the sting out of it and it will give you a sense that God is with you. Three years ago, Deacon Keith and I had a chance to go to Joss, Nigeria. I've been thinking a lot about Joss lately because two weeks ago, the archbishop from there, Benjamin Kawashi, came here to consecrate Stuart as our new bishop. And when Keith and I landed there at the airport, they had sent someone to pick us up and we got in the van with her and she was like, oh, we praise God today. And Keith and I were like, really, why? She's like, well, at one of our church services this morning, there were some youths hanging around out by the side of the church. And so the ushers went out there to check out what was going on. And they found they were carrying a bomb. And they were able to detain them and call the police. And that bomb was detonated without anyone being hurt. We praise God. It's like, yeah, me too. And then she said, uh, she said, and then in another incident in our churches, uh, a man rode up on a motorcycle in the street and was about to throw a bomb through the open front doors of that sanctuary into that congregation. And the bomb went off too early and it killed the motorcyclist and no one got hurt besides that. We praise God. And I thought to myself, I wonder if there's going to be any people in church tonight when we go. And we went and there were. There were people who said, you can give me a bomb threat, I'm still here. You can discourage me, you can threaten me, and I'm still here. You cannot take me away from Jesus Christ. Yes, they were wanting people when you came into the worship service, but they were there. Friends, that something happened to me in that moment. Something said to me, maybe you could get a little stronger, Kevin. These people are dealing with bombs. You're dealing with social disapproval? And I said to myself that day, I'm not going to let that hold me back. I'm not going to let that pull me down. I'm not going to back up and, and sit down and shut up when there's a world that needs Jesus Christ. And I know that it's normal that some will welcome that message and some will not. It's not going to deter me. Friends, I appeal to you in the name of Jesus. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're being sent on his mission. You've got his message. Why should you hold back? There is nothing that should hold you back. I know you'll be sensitive, but bring a bold word for Jesus Christ. God will honor 
honor it. And he'll say, this one is mine. That reward is there for you. Let us, each one of us, follow Jesus Christ, despising the shame and finding it a glory to be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Amen.